First Peter chapter 1, in the time that we have left, thank you for your patience. We felt it was very important uh, for you to hear um, from Corey, hear his heart. Uh, we would not want you to, you know, the elders will make a recommendation and, and hopefully you will endorse that, uh, but we wanted you to have heard from him and a chance to meet him and to hear his heart. So First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. We've been looking at, we looked for 12 verses in chapter 1 at the gospel and what's called the indicative, indicating what God has done on our behalf in the gospel. In saving us, in removing our sins, in choosing us unto himself, in, in adopting us as his children. And beginning in verse 13, you see a very important word and he says, Therefore, everything we see in the remainder of First Peter is a response to us being a child of God. It is a response to the gospel. And the first thing he does, he talks about be prepared. Then he talks about be holy. And last week he, he talked about uh, conducting ourselves with fear, knowing that God is both father and judge. And I think it's so important for us to have a balanced understanding of who God is, a balanced understanding of his attributes. We love to go to one extreme or the other, and yet not see an accurate, balanced understanding of who God is. Yes, He does love us, but that love does not allow us to live how we want to live without consequence. Hebrews 12 said that the, tells us that the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. He does not take sin lightly just because you're a child. And today, in verse 22, again, Peter draws a direct reference to our own salvation. As, John, as Daniel said earlier, 1 John 4, 19, we, we love, we are able to love, we know what love is. Why? Because He first loved us. We learn to love, we learn what love is, biblical love, we learn how to love by looking at how God has first loved us. I was, and, and today... He, Paul, Peter will say in verse 22, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified yourselves for a sincere love of the brethren. He has brought you into his family. He has purified you for a sincere love of the brethren. Look what Peter says. Fervently love one another from the heart. Look, look, at, look at how God has loved you. Consider one another family. Understand that you're family. Understand that the, the other believers in this building are family. They're not, just, they're not just people. They're brothers and they're sisters. And understand how God has loved you. I thought about it this week as I was contemplating this passage and I thought, you know, I wonder how many times I've sinned. You ever thought about that? You ever, th you ever think, I wonder if you could attempt to put a number on how many times you've sinned. How large do you think that debt would be? And yet, God says, if you will confess your faith in Jesus Christ, if you will repent of that sin, and you will believe upon Jesus, He will forgive you. Psalm 103.12, He will separate you from that sin as far as the east is from the west. Do you want to know how intensely, how fervently we're to love one another? Look at how intensely and fervently God's loved you in spite of your sin. In spite of all those offenses. 
In spite of, in spite of all the times that, that, that you've, you've spat upon him and you've turned your, your back on him and you've offended him, you've missed the mark, and yet he forgives you. The fact that he would, Luke 15, that he would be a God who would leave the 99 and come after you. That he would step out of heaven, take on flesh, even to the point of a dying, and he would seek to save that which is lost. That, that he would redeem you with his precious own blood. That he would rescue you, making a way for you to be rescued by giving his own life as a ransom, not just perishable silver and gold as we saw a couple of weeks ago he gave his own life why because 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 we needed a substitute we couldn't save ourselves as jonah very clearly we couldn't be perfect we're not perfect second corinthians five nineteen says that god made jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Substitution. God substituted where you and I deserve to die. God inserted His Son to take the wrath of my sin and your sin, to stand in the place of that wrath, to shield you and I as believers from that wrath, so that God, Romans 3.26, so that God could be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. God, as a righteous judge now, can rightly forgive a sinner because the penalty was paid. He's not just brushing it under the rug. He's not just acting like it never happened. He crucified His Son. He crushed His Son. Read Isaiah 53. So that He could rightly forgive whosoever would call upon His name and ask for forgiveness for their sin. He could rightly do that. Why? Because he crushed his son. Because the wages of sin is death, Jesus died as your substitute. That's the picture, listen to me, that's the picture of fervent love. The main point, you see it in the handout, in response to our own redemption through the blood of Jesus, being born again into the family of God, the family of God is to be characterized by an intense, Love for one another. Daniel led us this morning. The love of God is fierce. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, Oh, that you would grasp the awesomeness of the love of God. And Peter builds this. Why are we to love one another intensely? Because we've been in love intensely. We've been set apart to be the people of God. We've been, Colossians 1, 12 and 13, we've been rescued from the domain of darkness and we've been transferred into the marvelous, glorious kingdom of light. We have been adopted. We've been brought in with all the other believers. We're now brothers and sisters. We've been purified for a sincere love for the brethren, fervently, in response to that, fervently, intensely. Love one another. Peter makes it very clear. This is a brotherly relationship. Again, obedience is connected to our salvation. Our, our own love is a response to understanding how God loved us. That's why it's so, it's so important that we really understand the gospel. 
Because if God was smart to have saved me, if God, was, if God is fortunate to have me, if he's lucky to have me on his team, listen, that's how you're going to respond to other people. But if you're overwhelmed by grace, if you're overwhelmed at your own forgiveness, at God's patience, Romans 2, 4, at his patience and his long suffering with you, knowing that that led you to repentance, we have a tendency to respond to others in the same way how we see God first loved us. Listen, you and I were saved. We'll see it in very clearly in 1 Peter 2, 9 to declare His excellencies. We were saved to reflect the awesomeness, to show the world the awesomeness of our Father. Paul in Romans 1, 5 says uh, his mission was to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. Not just save them, Bring about obedience. In Romans 16, 26, he says the preaching of the gospel leads to obedience of faith. In John 3, 36, John says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. My point and what Peter's point is, is how you and I love each other is of utmost importance. Responding to Jesus rightly is of utmost importance. In, in Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus said this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. How we, listen, how we respond to the gospel is of utmost importance. And the primary mark, the number one mark, is how we love one another. The number one mark, the number one identifier. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, listen to this, this is the, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? Love one another. Love one another. Number one character trait of a believer. Love for, love for fellow believers. The badge the hello my name is sticker that we wear every day as believers is how we love one another. How we treat one another. As brothers and sisters adopted into the family of God by grace, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we didn't merit it, God would have been no less God. He would have been no less perfect had he not. And yet in his mercy, he did. He pursued us. He made a way for those of us, for all of us who were Romans 5.10. We were enemies. We were traitors. We were haters of God. Ephesians 2 says we were children of wrath. 
and yet God pursued us. Made a way that we could rightly be forgiven and rightly be brought back in right relationship with our Creator. Adopted into the family of God. Think about that. And you see it on your handout. It it is expected, Peter says, it is expected, not optional, expected that believers will love one another simply because you're a child of God. Your family. Your family. And listen, we could look... John always wisely, I throw all these verses in here, and John, John Cordova's like, pick a couple, Chris, just pick a couple. We could go on and on. Romans 12, 9, listen, let, in, in, in all of this, in Romans 12, 1, for 11 chapters, for 11 chapters, God has, enter John Cordova, there he is, thank him that this sermon is not much longer than it should be, or that it will be, it might still be. Roman, in Romans 1 through 11, God has taken 11 chapters to explain to you the gospel. And beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, what are you looking back at? You're looking back at the gospel. Offer your bodies as a, as a spiritual sacrifice. Living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. That word there means rational. It means reasonable. The only reasonable response, the only rational response for your life, if you are saved, is when you look at the gospel rightly, it's to love others the way you've been loved. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 3, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and pleasing. And do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think as to have sound judgment. For God has allotted each a measure of faith. He says, see yourself rightly, understand yourself rightly, and then love others. But immediately, look what Paul says. Let love be without hypocrisy. Verse 9, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. You see the same word there. Fervently, do this fervently. In, in Romans 13, Paul, Paul sums up what Jesus said as well. In Romans 13, 8, listen to this. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the whole law. Do, do you understand as believers, the only debt that I owe is to love you? The debt that I owe is to love you as I have been loved. It's a debt. I'm obligated. I'm expected. It's not optional. Not not just the ones you like. Not just the ones who think like us. Not just the ones who act like us. Listen, I'm really good at loving Chris. Ask Karen. I'm really, really good at loving Chris. And I'm really good at loving people who think like Chris and act like Chris and like what Chris likes. Listen, who am I really loving? Myself, I'm loving myself. That's not the gospel. God's love for you and I is not God loving somebody who's like him. It's like God, it's God loving somebody who couldn't be more unlike him. His enemy. You see the context when God says love your enemies? 
You see how the gospel plays out there? You're doing, when, okay, you say, well, that person in that row is my enemy. You know what the Bible says to do for them? Love them. Love them. Why? Because the gospel. While we were yet enemies, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet enemies, Christ loved us. He died for us. I mean, Peter is showing us it is the result of the new birth. Since you have been, you've, your souls have been purified, you've been brought into the family, fervently love one another from the heart. And you see it in your hand now. Biblical love, understand this, biblical love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good for the one that is loved. Daniel shared it earlier, no greater love has a man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And yet, in a very real sense, at the very same time, you and I were his enemies, and he still loved. It's one thing for me to die for Bradley. That's one thing. It's a whole other thing for me to die for someone who hates me. And yet Jesus died for children of wrath. Again, this love that you're called to, it's not this sentimental feeling. It's not like the way the world loves. I don't feel like it. Listen, you know what he'd say? I don't care if you feel like it or not. It's not about feeling. Listen, some mornings I get up and I don't feel like fixing breakfast for my kids. But guess what? I'm their parent. I have a responsibility. If I did everything just because I felt like it, I may, not, I may be the only one. Y'all are probably thinking, I can't believe he's our pastor. He doesn't want to make breakfast for his kids. That's not what I said. I said, sometimes I don't feel like getting out of that bed. But I do it. Why? Why do I do it? Because I love them. Why do I watch shows every night that I, don't, that I may or may not want to watch? Because I love them. Why in the middle of the Cavs Toronto game last night, my daughter walks in the living room and picks up the controller and changes the channel? She didn't even ask me. I mean, LeBron is making a fadeaway jump shot, and like in the middle, the ball's in the air, and now all of a sudden, a cartoon is on. And you know what I say? I didn't say a word. Why? Because I love her. I love her. Now, some of you say that's bad parenting. We got the master's degree in psychology over there saying, Chris, that's terrible parenting. <laughs> Listen, pick your battles. But I love her. I love her. And here's what I've noticed. Here's what I've noticed. When I love somebody rightly, it's no chore to do what, they, what is their highest good. When I love somebody rightly. It is no chore to do what is to their highest good when I love them rightly. And listen, that, that, that means a lot of things. Sometimes, sometimes serving them and loving them rightly is calling them out. We don't have time, but 1 Corinthians 5, Paul throws a guy out of the congregation because of immoral, unrepentant, immoral sin, and he says he does it for his own good. He says to destroy his flesh in order to save his soul. He says, have nothing to do with that immoral man that's unrepentant. Why? Because I love him enough to discipline him. Even Hebrews 12, God disciplines 
those whom he what? He loves. The reality is, it goes on to say in that passage, is if God, if he's not disciplining you, why? It may be that he says you're an illegitimate child, you're really not his. You're really not his, strong language. And, and real quickly, from the, from the passage, Paul, uh, Peter gives us characteristics of how we're to love one another. The first thing he does is that our love for one another, you see it on your handout, is to be sincere. The word there means without hypocrisy. It's not two-faced. It's not play-acting. It's not pretending to be one thing when you're in front of a person and another thing when you're not in front of that person. It's not affirming and, and, and lovey-dovey when you're in their face and then you're another thing behind their back. That lacks sincerity. It's not loving somebody to your own advantage either. That's not sincerity. It's not doing something for somebody because you're wanting something in return. That's not sincere. It is seeking their highest good. Our, our love is also to be fervent. The word here, I've already showed you, it's intense, it's strong. It, it literally means to stretch out or strain. It's not, ju- it's not just doing what's easy. It's not just doing what's convenient. It's not just doing what you want to do or what you feel like doing. It's not just doing what doesn't cost you something. It's work. But, but it's, 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 it's through seeing the gospel. It's through seeing ourselves rightly. All of this is. This is how God has loved us. Our love is also to be clean. From, a, from the heart, at the end of 22, some of your translations may say fervently one, love one another from a clean heart. The, the word there means lacking impurity. Listen, if somebody is asking you to do something that is sin and they say it's because they love you, that is not biblical love. High schoolers, middle schoolers, singles, whatever, husbands, wives, Asking somebody to do something that is sin, listen to me, those people do not love you biblically. If they are asking you to do something that is sin, and they say it's because they love you, they are liars. They're lying. They love you in a worldly way, not in a biblical way. Biblical love is clean. It doesn't encourage impurity. Think about that, middle schoolers. Think about that, high schoolers. Boyfriends, girlfriends, they want you to do something that's unbiblical? Listen to me, run. That's not biblical love. And again, you look at verses 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. It all goes back to us having been born again. We are a new creature in Christ. We are a new creation as believers in Christ. It goes back to this all flows out of what he means in verse 16, what it means to be holy. Part of what it means to be a holy, set-apart people is that we love one another fervently, sincerely, and cleanly. How will the world look at us weirdly? We talk about the word weird. How will we be weird? I promise you if we do this. And again... 
And, and no matter where we are, even in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, you say, well, I'm doing a great job. I, I, Chris, I'm doing a great job of this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, Paul writes, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You know what Paul is saying? Hey, guys, y'all are doing a great job. Y'all are doing a great job. He says, for indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren in Macedonia. It'd be great if that verse stopped there, except it doesn't. And Paul says, we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. No matter how intensely you're loving other believers. You know what the Bible says? Strain harder. Strain harder. Oh, Chris, I'm already doing this. I'm already doing this. Strain harder. Strain harder. I, I thought about, even right as I'm sitting here, I think about... John 1, 16, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. You know, it'd be great if that verse just said, for all of his fullness we've all received grace. But you know what it says? And grace. Every single day, you know what God heaps on you? Grace. And more grace. And more grace. And more grace. Romans 5, 20, where sin abounded, guess, where, guess what grace did? Much more abounded. It's not one time. It's consistent. It's fervent. Again, it's more than tolerating one another. It's more than just being in the same room and not killing one another. Or not, and it's more than ignoring somebody. It's fervently loving one another. It's seeking, seeking their highest good. Choosing to do that. Why? Because they're your brother and your sister. Because even beyond that, it glorifies the Father. Listen, that's why we have Fellowship 3. I get it that sometimes personalities are different, and, I, and I've heard stories about that, but Fellowship 3, every quarter, if you don't know what that is, every, sign up, see Tom Roske. Every quarter, we assign you to a household to go to a dinner and have dinner with two or three other families from this church. Why? Because my heart is that we would learn to fervently love one another. That's the heart. Are some of them difficult? Good. Good. Because guess what? You know what? That person that you think is difficult to love, I guarantee you there's eight other people here that would say you're difficult to love. We're all difficult to love. We don't just love people that are easy to love. Why are we going to paint Shanna Hassel's house June the 2nd? Because we're displaying a self-sacrificing love to her neighbors. She's family. You know, we just this morning, uh, uh, we've been working on this for a while. All of our deacons, we assign 12 families. You're going to start getting a phone call once a month from a deacon that is assigned to you, that is assigned to love you and shepherd you and minister to you. Every month, they're going to check in with you. We're simply doing it because we want to love each other well. We're not trying to keep tabs on you. We're not, in a sense, we are, but from a good heart. We want to love you well. I don't like the phone calls where I say, well, I haven't been there in three weeks and nobody noticed. Chris, you didn't call me. Look, there's 300 more of you. If it's all up to me, seriously? I guarantee you there's 200 foot, 240, 250 people in here that I won't speak to today. It ain't because I don't love you. So we're going to divide, divide it up, just like Jethro said to Moses to do in Exodus, I think it's 18. Divide the people up. You're going to get a phone. You, if you don't get a phone call from anybody, call me. Could be that maybe you're, you think you're a member and you're not a member, or we mess. I don't know. Call me. Hold them accountable. But they're doing that because we want to love you well. We want to love you fervently. 
E even the family pastor is an expression of love. We want to teach our kids how to love fervently. We want to teach our kids the awesomeness of the gospel. But we're going to do it through being word-centered. If you were to look at verses 24 and 25, even look, look at verse 25 or 24. All of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. We're going to look at it next week. Like newborn babies, lay aside all these things. Like newborn babies, he says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in respects to salvation. We're going to be word-centered. If Corey comes on and is our family pastor, listen to me. He's going to have some fun with our kids and he's going to help them to love one another, listen to me. But it won't be outside of the Word of God. The primary responsibility for Corey Patterson, should he be the family pastor, is to get the Word of God richly dwelling, Colossians 3.16, in our kids. And to equip them to be discipled themselves, but then equipped to go and disciple other people. The primary goal will be word-centered. That they would taste, as it says in verse 3 of chapter 2 of Peter, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. And they'll like it so much that they'll come back for more. It will be word-centered. And that's what you see on your handout. The central point here is that the Word of God, which endures and remains forever, must be prominent in our lives. Trends change, culture changes, what's popular changes, the worldly philosophies change. But listen to me, the Word of the Lord endures forever. It is the, the God of that Word is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our, our goal is that our children and their parents, Corey will minister, if he, he'll minister to you too, parents. He will teach you how to teach your kids. You're the primary discipler of your children. We want to come alongside and help you, but it will always be word-centered. We're not interested in our kids being cool or relevant. We're interested in our kids being weird to the glory of God. That the Word of God richly, Colossians 3.16, richly dwells within them. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Little word, little understanding of the gospel, little love for others. Lots of word, Colossians 3.16, the word of God richly dwelling in you. Here's what I've noticed in my own life. It automatically creates a love for others. Wrap around care, Katie Finkley, for, for foster families. Why are we doing that? Because, look... Somebody may bring a foster. We have lots of these. I'm grateful. They may bring a foster child into their family, but it's incumbent on us as a family to wrap care around that family and love them and walk through that foster care situation with them. They should not do that alone. If you want to give, be a part of that, if you're not already a part of that, see Katie Finkley. Raise your hand. She's sitting in front of the clock that tells me it's time to shut up. Listen, why do we do that? Because we're called to fervently love one another. You and I were the foster child that was adopted first. That's the gospel. And Katie, Susan Bailey is helping with that. Forgive me, I don't mean to miss Susan. She's sitting back there. It's when I start naming people, somebody doesn't get named, and I get emails. Not that Susan would ever email me. You understand, but you understand, but you see the context, you see the foundation under all of this? It's who we are in Christ. It's the gospel. 
It's not us trying to do it for our sake. It's not us trying to generate it for ourselves. It's looking at the gospel. It's looking at who we are in Christ and then responding. It's loving others the way that Christ has loved us. And that's very different. It's not a, you see it, it's not a self-generated thing. It's a God-generated thing. And and again, for the sake of time, you could go to 1 John 3 and, and John chastises them for not see who who whoever sees his brother or sister in need and turns his back on him he says in first john three sixteen, how does the love of god abide in that person good question everything that we do you see it on your handout i want to get these fill-ins our fill-ins everything we do has to be about making much of our living god and living out that it's about making much of our God. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. You know what it says? Do it to the glory of God. What do I tell my son every day, when I, every day that I'm able to drop him off at school? My daughter, you know what I tell them? Live to the glory of God. Be great for God's glory today. I believe God's glorified in a church who rallies around an individual and paints their house and I'd love for the neighbors to say, who are all these people that keep coming over to your house? Giving you meals and all that stuff. You know what that does? That draws them in. That shows them love of Christ. And you know what we say? Can I introduce you to my Savior? Can I introduce you to the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ that would cause that? Again, not self-generated. Not self-glorifying. This is God-glorifying. This is gospel-glorifying. It's about making much of our God who has loved us. Again, the family pastor plays into that. He and I have talked about it, and we've talked about it, the search committee. It's about delighting. We want families who have children and families as a whole that you see the handout, delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. It, look, we, don't, we love to talk about and we love to share that which we delight in. It's a delight. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you what? The desires of your heart. He'll lead you. That delight, listen, actions follow delight. Luke 12, 34, the verse we've shared with our students over and over again. Wherever your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart. Follows delight. We, listen, if we're, going to be, if we're going to love each other well, we've got to be word-centered. So I ask you, I ask you to contemplate that. Are you working hard? Are you straining to love others well? Could you say that you're straining to do that, that you sacrifice to do that? Or maybe you do it when it's convenient. Maybe you do it when it's easy. If we've been born again, listen, we've got to be a church who works hard at loving others well. And where that will be generated and where it will become natural is when the Word of God is richly dwelling in us. And I pray that as John, 3, 13, John 13, 34, that this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. In spite of our differences, in spite of our offenses, in spite of our sin, doesn't mean that we wash it out. It means we pursue them and we work it out. Why? Because that's what God has done for us first.